present to you our minds and our hearts. We give to you our will, Lord God, and we submit it to you. Whatever you desire to do with us, whatever you desire to speak to us, whatever response you desire to get from us, Lord God, we pray that it will be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. So use us today in every capacity, Lord. Again, and all the resistance that's there, all the objection and the rejection uh, that we have uh, because we are fighting against you and your word, Lord God, we're praying that the blood of Jesus Christ would just pour out all over us. Have your way, Lord God, today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last time we started off by hearing that everyone needs the rock for strength. The rock for strength. That rock we discovered is the Lord our God and he is distinguished from fake rocks. Right? That cannot hear nor can they minister on our behalf in any way, shape, or form. And some people think that they can do better than God. Uh, they go searching for a new God. A God who will do what they want him to do. And any God that does what you want them to do is no God. It's phony. It's deception. This new God, in fact, is not a God, but it is the figment of one's imagination. The figment of one's imagination as it is formed with the hands of a craftsman, created in their own minds with their own hands. In fact, this is the reason some reject Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus, he has his own standard. And he will not give in to the demands of a man or woman, regardless of what they can concoct in their minds. They think that they know better than God himself. Well, also, last time we heard that the rocks in the Old Testament were respected. Due to their size and the inability of uh, people to move them when they needed to make changes to their landscapes. The point of all that is to say that everyone needs the rock in their life for strength. If you have not yet come around to this understanding, then you will soon discover how weak you really are how much you need the Lord. Again, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. The Word of God says, The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So again, the Lord our God is the rock. Not one of many rocks, but the Lord our God, Yahweh Elohim, or Eloheinu, that he is
rock. Goes on to say that the work of the rock is perfect and all his ways are just. And again, this idea of the Lord's work being perfect reminds us of the sacrifices that were made on the grounds of the, taberna uh, of the tabernacle and of the temple. And we recall that those sacrifices, that they needed to be uh, perfect or without blemish. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. Right after Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 1, verse 3. And the passage reads, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now I need to read that one more time. One more time. If his offering is a burnt offering from the Lord, from, from, from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now, please notice a couple of things. Number one, that the offering, it needed to be without what? Uh, the offering, it needed to be without blemish. And number two, it had to be acceptable to God. So number one, it had to be without blemish. And then number two, it had to be acceptable to God. I, I need for you to get that in your mind, get that in your spirit, get that in your heart. Uh, that, that sacrifice, it needed to be without blemish, and it needed to be acceptable to God, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If it did not uh, hold up to those characteristics, those qualifications, it was no good. But look at this. The Lord was not waiting until after the sacrifice was made to see if it was good enough. God was not waiting. He was not saying, bring your sacrifice, put the sacrifice on the altar, we will set it ablaze, and then when we are done, we will see if that sacrifice was acceptable in my sight. You see, that's the mentality that we have when we cook meats for our meals. When we decide to barbecue, uh, that we get all of our ingredients together, our special sauces, and all the spices and herbs that we rub on the meat, if you like, dry seasoning on your meat, or that special sauce that you have concocted yourself that you put on afterwards. And then the hopes is that after you have cooked the meat thoroughly, that once you finally take a bite in it, you decide, how is it? And then if it's not quite right, you say, well, I need to add a little bit of this. Or I may need to add a little bit of that. But it's still not right. And then we say, good, that it tastes good. Finally, it's where it needs to be. God says that a sacrifice must be intrinsically ready 
before it is sacrificed, if it is ever to be any good. Sacrifice must be intrinsically, innately uh, ready before it is presented before the Lord. Therefore, Jesus Christ could not go to the cross unless he was already without blemish. See that? Jesus Christ could not go to the cross unless he was first without what? Blemish that Jesus had to be perfect before they crucified him on the cross. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. The Apostle Peter says this. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So by saying, this is my beloved son, God acknowledges not only the authority of Christ as the divine, but also his acceptability as a sacrifice. Jesus has been brought before God as a, as a potential sacrifice. God examined him. God considered him perfect. God considered him acceptable to atone for our sins. Some people today are playing a very dangerous game. Playing a very dangerous game with God because first, uh, either uh, Christ will sacrifice for your sin or you will be your own sacrifice. So either you have Jesus as the all-sufficient atoning sacrifice for your sins or you will be your own sacrifice. And if you are sacrificed for your own sins, you will surely die. It's going to be over. You see, you as your own sacrifice, me as my own sacrifice, we have already been determined by God to be insufficient and full of blemishes. No amount of blemish cream, no amount of washing your face, can eliminate or eradicate all the little blemishes that occur all in your spirit. You see, the stuff that you put on your face, the stuff that you order online, that's nothing but surface. And those of you who don't know Christ who come to church, you see, uh, you're doing nothing but putting blemish cream on your face. You see, uh, if you're helping the old lady or the old man across the street and you don't know Christ, all you're doing is putting blemish cream on your face. 
because the facade of having a clear spiritual uh, uh, complexion simply means that you're still dark and dirty deep down inside. So therefore, when you go to the temple to present yourself as a sacrifice to God, God will strike you down. Why? Because you sacrificing yourself for your sins is not enough. Scripture says, for all have sinned. All, everyone, you, me, and Dupree, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't have what it takes to get our act together before appearing before the Lord. Because he has already determined that you are unacceptable. I am unacceptable in and within myself. I am no good. So even though the judgment has not occurred or the past uh, are certain, uh, we, if we continue to reject Christ or pass away before we had a chance to place our faith in him, you keep saying that, no, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to accept him, but I'm going to keep living the way I want to. Uh, but see, you may not know. No man knows the day nor the hour in which God will call him home. That's a fact. No man knows. And the bottom line is, if you don't know Christ, you have already, especially if you've heard the word of God, that God has already rejected you. And you are living on borrowed time. So Jesus, as our sacrifice, is without blemish. And we also know his work is perfect. Now, back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. We heard this last time as I introduced this, but I needed to go back because as I began to rush myself, I felt as if I was not digging the way that I needed to dig. Deuteronomy 32 and 4, we discovered last time uh, that the word used of a sacrifice that says without blemish is used of the Lord's work, which is perfect. So uh, the word that we found in Leviticus 1.3 that mentions without blemish is the exact word uh, for the word perfect we find in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. And again, this animal, it needed to be perfect and without imperfection because only perfection is acceptable to God. How many of you in here are perfect? Is there one person in here is, is, who is perfect in anything that you do? Perfect in speech? Uh, you can probably say, well, I'm perfect at being me. And when you're perfect at being you, you're perfect at being an imperfect person. Can you say amen? And that's one thing that I have 100%, and that is I know I'm imperfect. So this helps us to understand the perfect or the unblemished work of the Lord, which is free of defects. So when he, we come across trouble in our lives, and some people wonder whether God made mistakes along the way, we can say without timidity that his work is free of blemishes and free of defects. Now just because you aren't where you should be, it is not a reflection of God's perfect work in you. 
but instead a reflection of our desire uh, to not allow God to work in our lives. That God wants to have access to us. And this is our dilemma, right? Whether or not to cooperate with God in our hearts. Should I do with what God wants me to do or should I not? You know, should I go to Sunday discipleship or should I just sleep another five minutes? What should I do? What is God calling me to? You see, I'm not sure if you got this yet, but I'm going to help you out here a little bit. Do you realize that the first time that you're confronted with a God mandate in your life, you struggle with it? You struggle. You say, oh, I know I should do it, but oh, God, you know, next time I'm going to do it. Do you know the second time that you come across that it's easier to reject God? And then the third time that you come across a God mandate that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt to do what God has called you to do, do you realize it then becomes easier to reject the work of God? To the point that finally uh, your conscience may end up seared. That regardless of what God says, that you are so accustomed to saying, you know, God, you just talk to the hand. So it goes first from the struggle to finally that uh, it, it becomes easy to reject what God is saying. This is our dilemma. But the bottom line is that God can't offer any of his works to himself unless they are perfect and free of blemishes. God can't offer any of his works to himself unless they are perfect. God's work, it must be perfect and it must be free of blemishes. You see, when God works in the earth, right, in and through us or in different ways or in his creation, what happens is it automatically glorifies him back. Do you realize that? That the work of God, it glorifies him back. It's like a sacrifice. So that means that the work that God does as it becomes a sacrifice in order to glorify him, that means his work must be what? It must be perfect. This is fascinating. That when God said, when the word says that in the beginning, that God created the heavens and the earth, and then when God says, let there be day, when God spoke, let there be day, back at him was the glorification of himself. That when you look around, when God says, let us create man in our image, that he created Adam, that he created Eve in perfection. Yes, it was. When you look around in this room today, you see men and women and children all cast in the mold of the image of God. Yes, you were. Regardless of what you've gone through, you know that you have been cast in the image of God. Can you say that? That I have been made in the image of God? I dare you to say it. Say it. Go ahead. I dare you. We have been made in the image of God, however sinful we are. Something along the way came and placed a crack. So therefore, imperfection 
was allowed to enter into the process. So therefore, we must allow God's perfect work in us as individuals to translate into his perfect work of being accomplished in and through our church. You see, we grow spiritually uh, as individuals. And as we grow as individuals spiritually, so does our church grow. If you yet can't figure out how God wants you to serve in the church, start by growing your spiritual life with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And as you grow as an individual, the church does what? The church gets stronger. A couple of weeks ago, someone was explaining to me about a raccoon that found its way into the attic of their home. They explained to me that uh, they were walking around their home and they found, uh, uh, they, found, uh, they found this raccoon just walking along the side of the house. And they didn't think anything of it. And every day they saw this raccoon just walking on the side of the house. And then after a month or so, I guess maybe at nighttime, they're at home and it's quiet. And then they start hearing this noise in the attic. And lo and behold, it was a raccoon. So basically, the raccoon was casing their house. The raccoon was, was looking around the house. Trying to do what? Trying to find a way. How do I get in? Let's see. I know they ain't painted right here in about five years, so that wood is getting kind of weak. So there, let me start scratching. No, that's still strong. Well, let me go on back where I was. Next day, they come back with their lunchbox and their hard hat, right? Well, I noticed here on the side of the house where that vinyl was, it looked like it's getting weaker. Let's see what they did in the last couple of years. No, it's still there. Still strong. And then well, what did they do after that? They decided, well, let me climb on up here. Climb on up to the roof of the house, in this case. And they find a weak spot, finally. And then they dig into that weak spot. Home sweet home. Raccoon Mama, Happy Mother's Day. And they discovered that after they finally get the adult uh, uh, mama out, and they thought they were all done, and they found out there was a, a litter of raccoon babies, whatever you call them. I'm not sure they call pups or kids. I'm not sure what they call Pastor Scott. Uh, he doesn't know what they're called either, because you all have a lot of kids too, right? Amen, amen. <laughs> right, so... so they found uh, uh, this litter of raccoons or litter of rats, whatever they are, up, up in their attic. So they, in essence, they cased the home until they were able to find the weak spot. And so what happens in our individual life, that the devil looks around our life. That the devil, he looks around our life and tries to find that one weak spot until finally he can get in. And you see, once the devil can get his foot in the door... And he said, you know what? They're going to go ahead and open the door anyway. You see, once the devil wants to start messing with your life, then he doesn't want to leave. But you see, if you're having trouble there, Scripture tells us that when we submit ourselves to God, that the devil will do what? So if the devil is causing you problem, you need to do what? Submit yourself to God. 
I don't know how we got on that, but there it is. So in order for the Lord's work to occur in us, we must be willing participants of his work. If you are a believer in Jesus and have submitted to his authority, but are not yet walking fully in the obedience, then you may be subject to God's discipline. He won't destroy you, but he will allow you to experience a few things that will not be enjoyable to you. You say, you know, well, I'm walking in victory. I'm walking in victory. Yeah, if you're walking in victory and walking in sin, God is going to God is going to discipline you. As simple as that. So after verse 4, here in Deuteronomy 32, Moses gives a warning to the people about what may happen to them if they refuse to recognize and follow the rock that has already been so faithful to them. So God says that he's the faithful rock. Uh, this is very true, that God, his work is perfect. Uh, but here in Deuteronomy 32, 15, the pastor says, but Jeshuan grew fat and kicked. And by the way, if you're wondering, well, who is Jeshuan? Jeshuan is another iteration of the word uh, uh, Israel which simply means the upright one. So he's giving them like a nickname. He's calling them Jeshua. So here uh, in 32.15, but Jeshua grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. In this verse, the Lord was being sarcastic and ironic while poignantly pointing out uh, their hypocritical work. It was like telling someone, uh, hey, smarty. Ever done that before? You told someone, hey, smarty, when they're doing stupid things. You're not telling them that they're really smart. So God has said, you know, but Jeshuan, <laughs> hey, Jeshuan. They really are smart, but for some reason they are acting as if it's not true. Sometimes tell your kids, don't you know where you come from, boy? Don't you know where you come from, girl? Act like you come from our family. But now it is being used here in this passage of a people who will become complacent about their spiritual walk, not realizing God demands more from them. Are you a smart person doing dumb things? Are you a smart person doing dumb things before the Lord? Christ demands more from you. He demands more from you, more from your life in regards to your spiritual walk. So after the Lord blessed Israel, they received his gifts, then decided they didn't need him anymore. Sounds familiar? You get all the good things, all, all the things that you think will finally make you happy, and then the first thing you do, you turn away. Jeshua grew fat and kicked. This is an instance, instance where an animal, uh, when it thinks it has had enough, it kicks the one who helps. There's a saying that we say, that we say don't bite the hand that what? Sometimes our children are just like that, aren't they? Sometimes children are just like that. They try to bite the hand, snap at the hand, go against the hand that feeds them and that supports them. But have you ever kicked at God? 
Have you ever resisted him? Have you ever told God, that's enough out of you? You may have not have said it with your words, but with your action, it has been true. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ accomplished a work in us. It is perfection, and it reflects back on the Lord whose work is perfect. But God's ways is also just, the passage says there, verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, they're just. When dealing with people, we sometimes wonder whether or not they're trying to manipulate us for nefarious purposes. God isn't like that. He's not like that. He is just that God is fair according to his own sovereignty and according to his own holiness, that he always has our best interests in, at mind. God's desire is to restore all things to the way he planned, and he does this through Christ Jesus and by default through his church. Can everybody say amen? But also notice that God is faithful. You see that in verse 4, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. In other words, he is not a good weather God who only comes around when things are going well. Even in the midst of struggle, that our Lord is there to comfort and console, strengthen and lift up the head of those who are burdened beyond what they can handle. The same is true in terms of how the Lord has been absolutely loyal to his workings within our church. Even when we didn't understand, even when I didn't understand, even when we don't understand, he is loyal. God is faithful to us. Now, how many people can you find that are as faithful and as loyal as God is to you? See, God will never leave you. God will never steer you wrong. When God tells you to be strong and courageous, you can bet the fact that God has your back. When God tells us not to be anxious for anything, we know that God has your back. When God tells you that he's going to prosper you, when God tells you he's going to lift you up and that he's going to encourage you, you should know that God has your back. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 118. Steadfast love can also be translated as faithful love. Loving kindness, mercy, or God's, oh, I, 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 I love this one, his loyal love. Loyal love. If, you, if you're not married, wouldn't you want a, a spouse like that? Who's loyal and, I'm not talking about loyal like a dog, because the dog don't have any sense. Come on, loyal like God. Someone who always has your best interest at mind. Wouldn't you want a spouse like that? See, this is why, listen up. If you have a husband or wife who loves the Lord to the T, you better let them love the Lord. Because the more they love the Lord, do you realize they're going to love you more? Uh, okay, I'll say it once again. You know, a couple people get it. The more your spouse loves God, do you realize they're going to love you more? Come on. 
This is a good thing. So if you find someone who's truly dedicated to the Lord, who's uh, digging into his word, trying to find out what thus says the Lord, let him be. Let him be. But God is there for us. And we must comprehend this with the full assurance of the Spirit who is at work in us. The Lord Jesus Christ has been faithful to us, and this is the only way that we can endure. This is the only way I can make it through. Let's be honest. I can only make it through the strength of the Lord. Life is just too much. Life is too much for me to handle. But we deal with the reality which all of us face at one time or another. If God is faithful, we oftentimes say, why doesn't he answer all my prayers? So in other words, you initiate prayer to the Lord, and then you wait and wait on the answer, and it seems to never come. And I may have shared this first. Remember that the prayer is a conversation between us and the Lord, number one. That's what prayer is, a conversation between us and God. And just like the love God displays to his people in sending Christ for our sins, he loved us first, he also speaks to us first. So God is the one who initiates prayer. Amen? You're saying that doesn't make sense because I'm the first one that says, Dear God, oh God, can you help me? But I want you to know, God is uh, the one who initiates prayer. Our prayer is in response to what God is doing. God speaks or he allows uh, circumstances to come into our life and then we pray. So God is the first to initialize the conversation. Well, how is that? Well, think about your life for a second. Think about the last time you really prayed. Think about it. When was the last time, I mean, you just really got down on your knees and you prayed and you prayed until it, until it felt as if heaven just broke open. Have you ever prayed like that before? And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to do so. Pray until something breaks. You know, I, I, I wish I could describe it to you. But you pray until something opens up in heaven and you'll know what it is, trust me. You will know when, when something breaks in the spiritual realm when you pray. You'll know. But no one, you won't be able to write. What exactly was it? You'll say, I, I don't quite know what it was. You say, well, well, describe this. Well, I don't know. And someone will try to deny that. But you know that God has answered a prayer. That, you, that something has, has broken in heaven. That God is now presently answering prayers. Something I forgot. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were praying and I had mentioned the fact that God's grace is here to answer prayer. Do you realize that while we were praying in that session that prayers were, that there were tangible prayers that got answered? Do you realize that? While we prayed, while we prayed, people's phones were ringing that prayers were being answered while we prayed. Can you say Hallelujah. I mean, come on, God deserves the glory. Not me. Please, not me. So our, our busyness or inattention to our first love, it, it catches God's attention. 
A person whom you're supposed to love knows when the wheels are coming off the bus. Because we know we're living life. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round until they come off the bus. Right? And that bus is dragging down the street and you finally realize something is wrong. See? What are you doing about it? What is God calling you to when the wheels on your bus that's supposed to go round and round that the love nuts are coming loose? What are you doing when finally one of the wheels on your bus, it finally starts to shimmy and starts to shake? What are you doing when the wheels on your bus, when one wheel finally comes out, do you continue to drive that bus like ain't nothing wrong? I'm going to keep on riding and pretend like ain't nothing happening. Well, you may pretend like nothing happened, but everybody else that's watching your bus go down the street says, look at that fool. Everybody else says, look at that fool. He or she should know that the wheel is off the bus, but they are pretending like nothing has happened. It is in the midst of that that God calls us before the wheel comes off the bus to get to him and to get to him soon and to get to him deeply in prayer. God is therefore faithful to you. He's faithful to our church. And his desire is to speak to the world as he builds us up and matures us. But we must tap into his will and when we do so, we become aligned with him and with his desires. When this happened, when you pray, when this happened, how can God deny himself? If you pray according to the will of God, you're praying according to what God wants. And if you're praying according to what God wants, how can God deny himself? God will never deny himself. Just say that out loud. Go ahead. If God will never deny himself, he will not den deny you if you pray according to his will. Not according to your desire, but according to his will. How do you know his will? You have to know his word. How do you know his word? You have to study his word. You have to internalize his word. You have to meditate on his word. You have to look at his word. You have to sing his word. You have to dance his word. You have to lift up his word. And that, therefore, you know you are living according to the will of God. Proclaim the name of the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. With all of the glory we can possibly muster to give to the Lord for being faithful in our rock, we boldly proclaim the name of our God. What does this, his name mean, proclaiming his name mean, other than speaking his works? And speaking of his faithfulness and his love to those who hear his voice. We glorify him when we proclaim his name and his greatness. To glorify the Lord is to worship him and acknowledge the magnitude of his presence in all the universe. 
we will proclaim the name of the Lord with an anticipation of Christ's soon return. So there's a benefit to the obedient hearer of God's word. Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the earth. What is the potential upside for those who will hear and follow in what they have heard? The question the listener must ask himself, that we must ask ourselves, is whether or not they would like to receive the blessings that God has for them. Would you like to receive God's blessing? For me, the answer is yes. It's an easy yes. In fact, most people, believer and non-believer, if there's a potential of some kind of blessing, some kind of benefit, they say, yes, uh, go ahead and pray for me. Uh, allow God to bless me. Yes, go ahead, I'll take it. What can I lose by receiving a blessing, they'll say. Verse 2 tells us that God's word will be like the falling of rain, like dew, gentle rain upon the tender grass, showers on the earth. When we take all those descriptors together, we understand the blessing of God's word will be a newness for our soul. The falling of rain delivers a rinsing of water, which is refreshing. In the rain, there are nutrients needed to promote growth as even the ground softens, allowing the roots to spread so they can go further up. But when we fight against the Lord, we fight against his word as his word becomes unacceptable, convicting, and at war against all that we try to think and try to accomplish in our life. And when we reject God, reject his word, we are at war with God. But the, the moisture... This dew that it speaks of is thick. Does not easily fall away, but hangs on so that the plant can take in as much moisture as possible. This is God's word. This is his voice. The acceptance of God's word stick to the bones of our soul like a hearty bowl of soup when the temperature drops outside. God's creation bears witness of his words to us. Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Give ear, O heaven, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. In the renderings of this verse, just like Deuteronomy 4, 26, write it down, and Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, heaven and earth are brought into play to witness against God's people. Bet you didn't expect that, verse 1 here in 32, that when it says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, let the earth hear the words of my mouth, and not only is it a sense of receptivity of God's word, but it, this is the very earth itself bearing witness against you, bearing witness against me, that we have heard God's word. There is no other present to be seated in the witness stand, no one else, that when God sees us in his jury, sit it, seated, 
in the witness stand are heaven and earth. So all creation hears the thundering and the force of God speaking to his people, even as he speaks to us today. Do you understand all of God's creation bears witness and that he has spoken a word of faithfulness and stability to us today, that God is our rock, that God is our perfection, that he wants to work in and through us? Will you gather yourself to the faithful rock or will you turn away? Jesus Christ, the faithful rock, is our strength, our shelter. He's dependable and secure. Last verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. This is really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, or I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. See that? So if you may wonder, what was Jesus really present in the Old Testament? It says here, and the rock was wonder whether or not if the Son of God is really a true being within the Godhead. We read the passage and it says, and the rock was Christ. So all along Christ was present with the Israelites as they crossed the Red Sea, as they followed the crowd and ate the manna or the bread that came from heaven. All along the rock Christ was present watching, leading, guiding, protecting, and feeding God's people. This is nothing less than what he has done or will do for you, nothing less than what he has done or will do for our church and also for all of his sons and daughters all over this world. The Lord is our faithful rock who never disappoints. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? Let's pray. In Jesus' name, we have access to you, Father. In Jesus' name, we have been forgiven of our sins. In Jesus' name, we have been transformed 